Aloha. This is Catherine Cruz. Welcome to the conversation. It's Aloha Friday, February 16th. The Paniolo, or the Hawaiian cowboy, has a storied history in our islands. Today, we're re-airing recent interviews celebrating their integration into our cultural lore. We'll visit Waimea on the Big Island, where some say the Paniolo got their start. We learn about a recent event honoring the Paniolo, talk to a third-generation Hawaiian cowboy, and hear from a documentary director about including an iconic Paniolo in her most recent film. And Paniolo High, we talked to two Kamehameha School students who honored the Paniolo in their most recent song contest. And we'll revisit the rollicking performance of Hawaiian Cowboy by a 14-year-old rising music star at the event. You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. The Paniolo, or the Hawaiian Cowboy, will be celebrated during the Kauai Paniolo Showdown next week in Waimea. The event showcases ranching and rodeo skills as a way of honoring our state's storied ranching history. In light of that celebration, we have a Paniolo Hanaho show for you. We'll be showcasing stories connected to the Hawaiian Cowboy by revisiting some of our favorite interviews about Paniolo culture. Let's start out by imagining 100 Paniolos on horseback. That's what crowds saw at last September's Parade of Paniolos to celebrate Hawaii's cowboy history. Joan Anderson shares the story behind the spectacle, which depicts Hawaii's history since the 1700s. We're perpetuating the role of Paniolo in Hawaii and just making people aware that, you know, Paniolo goes way back and has a lot of roots here. We don't want to lose it all. And so you are involved in putting on events just so those stories live on. Exactly. And I was past president, so yeah, I am involved with Paniola Preservation. And it's something that we want, you know, our kids, the youth to know about because you look around, like a lot of people in Oahu, they don't even know this place exists. I know that the Heritage Center over there is really involved in making sure that the, the history is intact. Yes. So tell us about this event. You started this, what, four years ago? Paniolo Preservation Society did it four years ago, yes. And we weren't going to do it again. <laughs> but it was such a great success that everyone says, oh, you have to. So we let it go, and four years later, here we are doing it again. Anna Lindsay Perry Fisk was a lady that grew up in Waimea, and she had a ranch, and it was called Anna Ranch, right down here in Waimea Town. And she pretty much ran it herself with a couple um, foremen. And so she started this thing, and she was part Hawaiian, and so she started this thing back in the 60s in her front yard, and she did it every other year as a benefit for American Heart Association. And so she had a lot of the costumes, and she did it, I think she stopped in the late 70s, and then I think it has been done twice after that, and then in 2019... PPS took it over, and we did it up at Waikiki Ranch, and then we're doing it again this year. So tell us about what's in store. We've got over 100 riders coming on in full costume starting in the 1700s with, oh, we've got Captain Cleveland, we've got Vancouver Cook, the botanist that went around Mauna Kea, David Douglas, and we've got the different princesses of the different islands, the John Palmer Parker family is represented. A lot of the Ali'is, Kamehameha III. Well, this event is billed as Old Hawaii on Horseback. Yes, yes. It's a historical event with horses. And in the verbiage talking about it, you know, we will be telling everyone, you know, what Captain James Cook did, what he did for Hawaii and Cleveland and... You know, the Wyomino man that went up to Cheyenne and won the steer roping back in 1920s and uh, Kamehameha, the missionaries, everyone that had something to do with Hawaii from like the 1700s is in there. Right. This We're talking the Vaqueros. Yes. Yes. And it's amazing because I just uh, did an interview with someone with the Hawaii Polo Association and they were saying, gosh, you know, it was Alan Ho. 
He's descended from vaqueros who went to the Big Island and were a part of that Paniolo history. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people that are tied to the Paniolo history and even the Ali's. And a lot of the Ali's, um, can't remember which one, but she was a great horsewoman. Yeah, so this is all part of highlighting Hawaii history on horseback. And it is a big fundraiser for PPS, our Paniolo Preservation Society. And so where does the money go toward? I mean, what types of events do you put on? Every other year, we have a big sit-down dinner with a live auction, Paniolo style. And money goes to paying for running the building. We've got a little museum store in there. You know, we just tented the building. That's, what, twenty grand. We do scholarships to high school rodeo kids. We pick kids, a boy and a girl, who have participated in rodeo to just give them a scholarship. You know, we do help. The high school rodeo is giving, you know, they can use our premises for their events and things like that. So we're very open to doing that. You know, we want to help the youth, the kids that are involved with the Paniolo lifestyle. And it's not only rodeo, it's the ranches, the ranches kids and we're just trying to keep it alive. Well, we have seen so many of our cowboys really make their mark when it comes to competitions back on the mainland. I mean, over the years, over the decades. We've had some good guys up there representing Hawaii. It's preserving the ranching history, whether it's through rodeo. You know, a lot of them are ranchers and rodeo participants. So it's kind of a broad, mainly just the, the ranching, the heritage the equine industry. We're learning so much about pasture land and grazing land, how that's important, you know, to help yeah. with things like fire management, fires. Mm-hmm. you know, because that's in the forefront of people's minds these days. Yeah. I mean, grazing, you know, the cattle keep the, the grass down. I mean, without that, that's how you end up with these, you know, huge fires that take over and the grasslands and because the cattle aren't, you know, eating it down. And so that's, very important. So what else do you want to share about the Paniolo Preservation Society and the Heritage Center? Well, we have the Paniolo Cowboy Hall of Fame, and it's given to us by the Cattlemen Association. So our building supports that, and we've got all the cowboys in there with a little brief history and everything in there. And then we have a little museum store, and we have, oh, saddles, and it's kind of a, a little history of starting when they were shipping cattle out to the, the shipping boats and shipping them off to Oahu. And, and we've got a big pa'u room there with all the women that have been working on ranches. We've got a big life-size horse with a woman sitting on it and draped in pa'u. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, all our pa'u riders that we see participating in parades, you know, even here on Oahu, I mean, that's just a real spectacle. Oh, yeah, it's neat to see, yeah. That was Joan Anderson, who's with the Paniolo Preservation Society, talking with us about the parade of Paniolos that was part of their old Hawaii on horseback event last September on the Big Island. It featured 100 horseback riders highlighting Hawaii cowboy history from ranching to rodeos. The society holds the event every three years, so the next one is planned for 2026. The Paniolo Hall of Fame will be inducting a new class of legendary Hawaiian cowboys later this year. The last induction ceremony was held in 2022, and among them was Hawaii Island's James William Ho'opai Jr., better known to everyone as Kimo. His father and both of his grandfathers were cowboys. He got his first job as a ranch hand a few years after graduating from Kohala High School in 1978, and he's been a cowboy all his life. He's also a military veteran, having served in the Army and Hawaii National Guard for 14 years collectively. The Conversations Russell Subiano got the chance to sit down with Ho'opai in November of 2022 to talk about his military service and life as a Paniolo. You come from a long line of cowboys. Yeah. yeah. When did you know that you wanted to follow in their footsteps? Gee, I used to watch my dad go to work in the morning, and I think it was about five or six. And just watching him walk down to the stable and see the horses coming in for them to ride that morning made my interest more. 
And as I remember getting older, just before graduating, he tried his best to discourage me because he knew how ranch life was hard and because, you know, the pay wasn't there. Mm -hmm. We seen what he'd been through, both parents. But the love of it, if you love something, you're going to do it from your heart, everything. And that's what it ended up being for me. Was there ever another career that you're interested in or another place that you wanted to live, even for a minute? Honestly, never thought about it. Never did. Being away while I was in the service, Mm -hmm. you know, I was away from the ranch, away from Hawaii, but I was glad doing what I did, but I also missed that lifestyle. I, I really missed it, and I wanted to come home and, you know, see if I could get in the door as a cowboy or even start working on the ranch. I know that you enlisted in the Army after high school. You spent a year on the continent before returning home and joining the Hawaii National Guard, where you served for another 13 years. What was your military experience like? It was being independent. It's growing up fast because you're away from home. You don't have nobody around. It also opened my eyes to see what outside of Hawaii was. In Hawaii itself, you know, it doesn't matter the nationality, you respect everybody, all color, greed, whatever they were. But when you get up to the mainland, it's different. And I found what racism was like. I never understood it. Never seen it outside of Hawaii until I got up there. And yeah, it opened my eyes a lot. But it also helped me grow in many ways that, you know, I, as a parent, you try to set your kids up so when they do leave home, they're equipped. They'll be all right. They'll make it through whatever they're going through. And I believe my parents did that, not knowing themselves what the mainland had to offer. And just touching on your comment that you had experienced racism, when we hear about things like that happening, I think local people probably don't realize that when you go to the mainland and people see you, they, you know, they don't immediately know that you're that you're Hawaiian. You know, when I lived on the mainland, I got mistaken for being Mexican all the time. And I I felt yeah. that discrimination that way as well. How did you handle your experience with racism? At the beginning, it was hard. Getting off the bus at Birmingham, Alabama, 4.30 in the morning, and walking in a coffee shop and seeing a sign that says whites only. I thought it was just, you know, a sign of the past. Not knowing in 1978, it was still up because it was still strong, it really brought in my mind that I needed to understand more about racism and why and slavery and everything, what went on prior to me getting up there. So I read a lot of books. I made myself mingle with different nationalities so I could understand, but it worked out for me because military, they they try to break that racism, but it, it was still there. They tried every which way to try to control it and blend it in, but it, it was still, doesn't matter. It was there. What was your job in the military? What what did you do when you were enlisted? I was infantry. I was in the infantry. I was, it was the only thing that, you know, I felt like I could give back to my country. My dad couldn't go because he was injured from a young age, so he had disabilities that he couldn't qualifies ongoing during a draft. Both grandfathers couldn't because of the same thing, broken bones or whatever, or too much kids. So they couldn't get drafted. So by me going in, I was, I got a brother which is younger than me. I figure if I get in the military, I stay in and I'll serve that much more years to give back for all the ones that couldn't make it. And almost accomplished it. Almost. Did anything from your military training, did any of that translate into ranch work? No, I I think before I went, I had training at home. Discipline came from home. So when I got into the military, that was the biggest thing that they were looking for, was discipline. And once once they got the discipline from you, you became an easier person to learn, to understand, and to work with. Without the discipline, it was hard for anybody to connect with the drill sergeants or whoever was in charge of you. So, If anything, uh, I brought back was, I think, was the leadership, having men under me, 
that was one of the biggest things because you make sure that everyone gets home. You want to make sure that whatever you're doing, the assignment that you're doing, you want to make sure that everybody makes it home, make it back to the barracks, make it back to wherever. You want to be accountable for everybody. So their their lives is on you. If anything, I brought that back. doesn't matter where you go. You want to make sure that whoever's working with you, you make sure that they get home after work. No matter what, it's not a war, but a work day can cause injuries. You can get hurt. You can die. You can whatever. But you want to make sure the boss, you get them home to their families. When you ask the average American what they think of, when they think of ranching, they may say places like Texas or Montana or Wyoming. I don't think most people know that Hawaii has a long history with ranching and that that's been a part of our history since 1793 when Captain Vancouver brought the first cattle over. They may not even know that there are Hawaiians in the National Rodeo Hall of Fame. Why do you think Hawaiians make such great cowboys? I think it's the honesty and just their character itself. Hawaiians carry so much character and pride in what they do. They're going to give an assignment. They're going to make sure they want to do it the best that they can do. And it's just not a hundred percent. It's a hundred and over a hundred and plus. I would say they want to make a mark saying that that guy left something that we can use in the future, like a legacy. When I look at the names in the Paniolo Hall of Fame, I see all kinds of ethnicities with roots all over the world. Do you think there's anything the world can learn from ranching about having an inclusive workforce? Yeah. You know, working on Parker Ranch when I started, we had just about every ethnic group that you could think of. But one thing special about that group, all the old timers spoke fluent Hawaiian, and that was their communication during work time. So as a new cowboy coming in, even my age, Hawaiian wasn't used at that time when I was going to school and it was forbidden in the house. It made me go back and learn my Hawaiian to help me understand that my history, my Hawaiian history is important because they use it on their job and it didn't matter what, Japanese, Portuguese, Haole, it didn't matter. Everybody spoke Hawaiian and that is unique. And also working, the work style that we had was unique because everything that we did was passed on by generation. And today's cowboys, there's a big change in everything, ranching, lifestyle. But a lot, if you look closely, a lot is connected back to the past. Whatever that generation was taught, it went on to the next. I got two sons that cowboy today. One is a section foreman up at Parker on Mana Division, and one runs Makaniwa Ranch on Kohala Mountain. So they use a lot that was handed down from me, from my dad, from my grandfather. Till today. That was Big Island Cowboy and military veteran Kimo Ho'opai Jr. talking with HBR's Russell Subiono. Ho'opai was inducted into the Paniolo Hall of Fame in November of 2022. The Hawaii Cattlemen's Council will be inducting its next class in November of this year. The new documentary, Hometown Legends, features five beloved kapuna living on the Big Island. It captures their mastery of various Hawaiian traditions and skills, from pahu drum making to the ranching life of a paniolo. Colby Moser is a co-director of the film. She grew up in Kau and is the owner of Aria Studios. It specializes in shooting wedding videos and producing commercials. The Conversations Russell Subiano talked to Moser last September about why she decided to venture into documentary filmmaking. I've always kind of had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do a documentary and specifically on kupuna. You know, growing up in Hawaii, we just grew up in a culture where we respect our kupuna. I don't want like the next generation to forget that. I want their kupuna stories to be always around and always, you know, guiding them. I think growing up with my grandparents, I was always around kupuna. And that definitely shaped me. So I knew as a filmmaker that one day I would make a film that highlighted and elevated the voices of, of our kupuna. 
I just didn't really know when, and I have been talking about this for the last 20 years. Anybody who's known me has heard me talk about this idea that I had to do a film about Kupuna from Hawaii Island, which is my island. I grew up in Kau. So the last year was the year that it just, it happened. All the stars aligned and it was just the right time. But I have been thinking about it. It's been percolating for, I'd say, two decades. From the website and the trailer, I think I kind of figured out that in the film, you profile five kupuna mm-hmm. living on the Big Island and preserving different parts of Hawaiian culture. Can you share mm-hmm. briefly who they are and what makes them so legendary? We have two kupuna from Waimea. That's where my family and I live now. That's the only home that my girls have known. So we have Uncle Sonny Kealani. He's Paniolo. He worked for Parker Ranch. He is knows everything about cowboy, but more than that, he knows about fishing. He knows about Aina. He knows about language. So we do focus on, you know, his work as Paniolo, but even more than that, just like his knowledge about place and Aloha Aina. We also profile Uncle Manny Vincent. He's also from Waimea. He started Kauai High Canoe Club 50 years ago. Just so well known in the community. He was a fireman. He's also Paniolo. So we do have them talk about a specific craft or skill that they have, but they know, I mean, they're just so wise in just how they live their life and about place. We also talked to Uncle Keone Taraldi. He's a pahu drum maker. We also feature Uncle Willie Kalpiko. He's generations deep from Mililii. So he talks about, you know, the way that his kupuna fished and the way that he's preserving his place today. And we also feature Auntie Shirley Kauhaihao. She's from Kealia, which is South Kona. And she comes from a whole ohana of fishermen, canoe, I mean, hunters, all kinds of things her family did. But the thing that she got passed down was lahalo weaving so she is a master lahalo weaver where all of these kupuna we get this special treat where we get a peek into their lives and into the thing that they do but more than that it just feels like being with your grandma or grandpa it has that feeling of like just a hug you know and i've seen the film probably a hundred times at this point and just hearing their voices just It grounds me, honestly, and I hope it does that for everyone else. And one of the reasons I was interested in talking to you about the film is because I went to elementary school with Uncle Sonny's son, and I think Hawaii's ranching and cowboy culture is something that we don't get a lot of opportunity to talk about. Can you share how you got connected to him and why you thought his story was important to share with others? I mean, you know, living in Waimea, it's pretty, it's a big part of Waimea culture. It still is cowboy. I mean, you see it all over the place. Not like it was before, probably when you were growing up, when horses were just around, you know, (laughs) there were more horses and cars probably back then. But it's still a part of our culture. And Uncle Sani is one of those people that everybody in the community respects. You know, when he walks into Fork, everybody's buying him a Bud Light. (laughs) So when we set out to do this project, we just asked all of our friends, people that we knew who were connected to Kupuna, who would you interview? This is our idea. This is our project that we are hoping to make. Who would you recommend? And Uncle Sonny Keakilani kept coming up over and over again. And like you said, he is so knowledgeable when it comes to Paniolo but so much more. And his whole entire family are also legends. You know, they know so much about this place. They know the name of every pu'u. They know like the name of every valley and beach. And they talk in the film about how important it is to know your place and to be connected to your place. So it was a huge honor. On the Hometown Legends website, you wrote that his jobs working for Pu'u Va'ava'a Ranch and Parker Ranch took him to every mountain, coast, and corner of the island. And how mm-hmm. Aloha Aina means knowing your Aina intimately and to care for, connect to, and protect your places. When mm-hmm. most people think about ranching, I think they think about caring for the cattle, but it sounds like our Paniolo see their job as caring for the land as well. Yeah, Uncle Sonny, in the credits, there's this soundbite where he talks about on his cowboy hat, he has dirt from every mountain of Hawaii Island, and he's been to every corner. You know, Parker Ranch is so big, and he's worked for other ranches like Puva Ranch, but he's been to every corner of the island. And, you know, when you're on your horse, 
you can't just drive through, you know, you can't just drive through your saddle road. You're going through Kulapa, he calls it like high rises and like low, you know, you're like in, in there <laughs> on the side of mountains, on the side of Pu'u's. I mean, you're seeing things that nobody's ever seen. So he's had this really unique perspective, I think, as a cowboy to just know his aina in a very, very intimate way. And he teaches that to his kids. I haven't had the chance to see the film, but I get the feeling from the trailer and the website that the stories that you capture aren't just about documenting these people's individual expertise, but also how it contributes to the bigger picture of land stewardship and cultural preservation. Is that something that you did intentionally? You know, going into it, we 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 never had a project quite like this. When we have commercial films, we have a very specific goal in mind, soundbite that we want to get. This one was very organic. I mean, we didn't have a plan outside of just like setting a really beautiful set for them to just talk and share whatever they wanted to share. And we didn't really cut them off. We just we just asked some general questions like, where did you grow up and what was life like back in those days? And they just talked and they shared. And so what came out of it was pretty magical. I couldn't have ever plan for what would come out we had an idea you know of the things that they did and kind of their life story but it was just so much more than that i i thought we were gonna get you know specific things about laohala weaving or pahu drum making but just the themes were just a beautiful thing that came out of it and i think the message that they shared was meant for this generation at this time colby thanks so much for your time thank you russell that was filmmaker Colby Mosier talking to HBR's Russell Subiono. Mosier's film, Hometown Legends, will screen at Waiakea Waina Elementary School in Hilo later this month. We'll have a link to upcoming screenings on the conversation page of our website later today. And we'll continue our Paniolo show after the break. <laughs> Support for HPR comes from Costco Air Conditioning and Refrigeration, featuring Daikin Air Conditioning Systems. Listing of contractors installing Daikin products, that's D-A-I-K-I-N, at CostcoHawaii.com. HPR is hiring for a full-time membership manager. Are you experienced in nonprofit fundraising? A public radio superfan? This is the opportunity for you. Join HPR's growing and passionate team, and apply by March 31st. Learn more at hawaiipublicradio.org slash jobs. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to our Paniolo Hanaho Show. We're re-sharing some of our recent interviews about our historic Hawaiian cowboys. And just like many historic figures, much has been written and preserved about them. Namele Paniolo, Hawaii's cowboy story set to music. Kamehameha Schools chose cowboy culture as the theme for its 103rd annual song contest last year. The junior class ran away with many of the top awards. Take a listen to the co-ed class perform Waimea Cowboy. Welcomed in our studios last April, junior class director Tatea Sunooka and program director Chad Takasugi. They jokingly refer to themselves as city boys. 
I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. I am a city boy myself, <laughs> born and raised on the island of Oahu in town. So I would never pretend to you know represent that story. But I think that's maybe one of the most important things about song contests and about events like this is that we love to tell people that these are our stories, the collective our stories. Yes, I may not be a paniolo, Taitea may not come from that <laughs> that background, but these are still our people's stories. And what we gain from that is the fact that we can learn from our kupuna, their grit, their resilience, the stories of our of the paniolo and the, the tragedy that they felt, the, the success that they've seen across the world. These are all really good examples of the resilience of our people. And so if there is an opportunity for us to kind of tap into that without being a part of that particular lifestyle, it's still a part of our lahui. And that's, I think, what's really exciting for the kids is, you know, if you have a chance to actually connect to a story that you know, you may not think you connect to, but if you find that connection, it it connects you to your kupuna, which is really a, a huge part of the experience of Kamehameha is, is if you can make that connection to your kupuna, you are drawing from ancestral knowledge and strength that is going to make you successful as you grow as a learner. And we paid homage to a couple of cowboys that night. Uh, it was our honor and our privilege to be able to host some real life paniolo um, that, that flew in from Hawaii Island. I thought it was very heartwarming that during his introduction, Dr. Chen actually took the moment to introduce them to the rest of the audience. And it was a really kind of heartwarming moment because I think everybody in the arena immediately understood. I may not know who you are, uncle, but I understand how much we owe you because of your commitment to this lifestyle and our practices. And jump in here, because you went to Waimea and you kind of got a feel for what these songs were all about. Mm -hmm. um, what was that like for you, performing in front of these paniolo? It was like totally different from just performing as a competition. It was really something that these, they're here. these people are here, these people that these stories are about and telling about, they're here listening to us. And I feel like that was really well brought and shown in our singing and, and the way we held ourselves that night. Throughout our whole class, you could really see them like, oh, we are singing to honor these people, not just for our competition. Well, you know, watching you that night um, direct the group, the class, I, I could see you. It was almost like you were on a on a horse. <laughs> you know, it was it was really wonderful. And the the song that the the boys and the girls sung together, Kila Kila Na Rough Rider, yeah. um, Waimea Cowboy, was yeah. just it was so much fun. <laughs> what was it like for you? Because you actually spent some time there in Waimea, kind of getting the feel for the place. Yeah, it was it was a really great trip that we took up there, and the main thing that we really as directors really wanted to try to do was bring that feeling back home to our our classmates to really show it to them what this is all about because before our prior knowledge about cowboys and paniola was that just like western cowboys riding on horses and you know all those stereotypes but then going to my man actually learning about these ohana and these families who have been living in this lifestyle for so long it was something completely different which i feel like we got to our class pretty well and them understanding the life of these paniolo and really understanding the meaning behind the lyrics of the song is something that made the song sound the way it did the added nerves of the paniolo being there right it's kind of like oh i don't want to mess up or tell this story in the wrong way so i think our class really had fun with it and because they got to meet the paniolo that we talked to before Sankanda started, they kind of built a small connection and really clicked in them that, okay, these are who these songs are for. Well, when you were in Waimea, did you get on a horse? I didn't get to on the trip we went to, but I went up recently and didn't get to. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, so you really got a feel for, for what it's like there. Yeah. And, and Chad, talk about, you know, the the fun that everybody had really kind of interpreting these songs because I think as I mentioned before I happened to be listening to you know the Waimea Cowboy song and I heard a version you know John Cruz and Brother Nolan <laughs> and Henry Capono but I really liked the, the song contest version best. <laughs> right I mean I think there's something very special about the ability for music in general but, but in this case choral music to actually kind of capitalize on some of just the musical elements that you have available to you. You know, in song contests alone, you know, between the 10 competition songs that are that are performed, you know, you, you could feel stories of loss. You could feel stories of tragedy. You can feel stories of championship winning success. And, you know, it, that's because at some point for a lot of our students, it becomes, there's a transition. There's practice, practice, practice a song. 
And then you turn a corner and you realize that it's actually more than a song. And all of these elements together help to realize that not only are you participating in a 136-year, you know, tradition, but you're also kind of cashing in on a little bit of the kuleana that you have, the, the responsibility and obligation you have to actually keep these songs going. And I think Taitea is talking about that a little bit. What, there comes a point where you turn the corner and you realize, I'm not just seeing notes and words here. I'm actually telling your story. And, and to a certain degree, I'm telling my own story. And if I really want to think about it, I'm telling my kid's story. And it's that intergenerational connection that I think has made something like Song Contest so well embraced by our community because again, it's it's not necessarily having that experience in the song, but just realizing that as a collective, the, this is our history. We become record keepers when we sing these songs and we tell these stories and we make sure that people are, are walking away with just more than, oh, it was so pretty, but the fact that we really understood what we're doing and, and the obligation that we have, it makes it that much more powerful. Well, what I loved about it is listening to that music and it really did kind of tug at my heart. I mean, I could visualize the cowboy riding off in the sunset, you know, and we were, were chatting about Hawaiian Cowboy, you know, the, the the junior class did, how they were just were creative and yet they got it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I think, you know, Tete actually has first-hand experience in this now. Like, it sounds different even when you, when, once your class actually gets to that point. Some classes take longer than others to get to that point, but once you get to that point, the, it sounds different. They've internalized the song and they've kind of realized like, okay, I'm not just singing these series of notes on the paper. I'm now actually making sure that you understand the mana'o that's behind it. And if you walk away with that, then, then we will be successful. And that changes the way you sing. So talk about Hawaiian Cowboy and the emotions that you saw, you know, as you were trying to get the class to understand what that song was about. Yeah, so Hawaiian Cowboy is a very playful and really fun song. It was written by Soul Cave Bright, and it was just a song that he wrote on the spot in one of his performances in San Francisco. And to our class, we really wanted to explain that this is the kind of song that it is. It's a fun, fun Paniolo song and like more about like the life that they had and the, the fun that they had during their life. And in the arrangement of our song, you could feel the different mood changes from starting off kind of slower in the beginning and then picking up to like a very home on the range type of life of cowboy. And then shifting to a more Western type of cowboy to pay homage to them. And then shifting back to our home back here and just how our melee sounded. Yeah, it was fun with all the yodeling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> working that in there. And then, Chad, you had mentioned that they had actually tried to incorporate some themes of some of the Western. They did. I mean, I think some of our more seasoned listeners might have recognized, you know, some of the themes that were pulled from old TV shows, uh, Bonanza and, you know, stuff like that. That's a little bit before my time, but but I, t- I, I was that. told. <laughs> I was told. And again, like, I think that is just another device to connect with a listener in a way. I mean, you know, we, we love to kind of use the you know the example you said earlier about radio right theater of the mind and you know if we can help to create that visual and pull you away from the arena for just a minute and actually start to envision that that cowboy riding riding off into the sunset right or 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 the that wilted lay representing your 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 ache of the ache of your heart i think that's what success looks like you know at the end of the night it's a competition but trophies look a little bit different when, when you have that in mind. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that you were able to go back to Waimea again. Yes. What was that like? So it was actually really special to us. We got to go back as our tour for Concert Glee. And in that tour, we took the whole Concert Glee to go meet the people that we were talking to, the Paniolo families that we were talking to. And it was just such a different feeling after song contest. It was a great opportunity for everyone because they, they got to see in person, oh, even closer, these are the people that we are singing for. And we went to the Paniolo Preservation Society and we got to sing all of our melee there. A really special moment was we sang the sophomore co-ed and my cut you Waimea. And in that song, it talks about the pu'u in Waimea and the names. And it was just such a special moment being being there as Kantigli and being there as Halmana next to this Paniolo. And you could really see the emotion in their eyes when they heard our voices talking about all the pu'u that they were right in front of us that we could all see. And it was just such a beautiful moment going up there again. And again, there was a totally different feeling from being in competition. It was like, we are really here in this place and singing about um, this area that these people have 
lived through or lived in their whole lives. Yeah. Chicken skin. Yeah. If I can just kind of jump in, I mean, that's exactly what I'm thinking is chicken skin. I'm sitting here listening to this. And if you deconstruct what he, what Taitea is saying here, I mean, he's pretty much taken us out of a song performance and he just gave us a history lesson. He gave us a geography lesson. He gave us uh, an anthropology lesson. You know, I mean, all of this, this is what Hawaiian culture-based education really is. It's starting to look like, and we're using the vehicles like Mele to be able to teach things that quite honestly, I'm not really sure you'd get in a normal classroom lesson. And so, you know, that's the kind of vai um, vai, the value, right, that these kinds of things are, are are doing for not only us as listeners, but for for the kids as, as performers, as presenters. Um, and, and again, keepers of, of these mo'olelo, these, these histories. Well, thank you so much, Kamehameha Schools, for this tradition of song contest. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Totea. I just so appreciate your time here with us to keep the stories alive. Mahalo for Mahalo. having us. That was Kamehameha Schools, Chad Takasugi, and Taitea Sunaoka talking with us about celebrating Hawaii's Paneolo history. It is one thing to work to preserve the Hawaiian culture, another thing entirely to embody that preservation. That's what Kauai native Kamahao Haumea Thronis is doing with his voice. You might think you're listening to a classic Hawaiian singer from the 1930s, but you're actually listening to 14-year-old Haumea Thronis performing in our Atherton studio this past Sunday. The talented youngster is fluent in Hawaiian. He's currently a student at Kamehameha Schools, Kapalama. He made local headlines after last year's song contest when a video of his rollicking rendition of Hawaiian Cowboy went viral. The young musician recently talked with The Conversation's Russell Subiono in our studios. The first time I became aware of you was watching the Manama'oli Hawaii 78 video, right, on YouTube. When you were one of the musicians that popped up on screen, I thought to myself, this has got to be a pretty talented kid if they're going to feature him in this video along with all of these other known musicians, right? And so that kind of prompted me to kind of pay attention to your career. And because it's not so often that we see such a strong singing voice from someone that is young, was your singing ability something that was kind of nurtured in your family because your family is a musical family or you kind of just born with the talent? Nobody in my family really took on music as a career. Mm-hmm. Some of my family members could sing, you know, backyard kanikapila style, but nobody really took it to the professional level. From when I was a kid, I always loved music. My family, you know, my, my mom, she didn't really listen to Hawaiian music. That was kind of something I did on my own. And then uh, going to Kayapuni School, mm-hmm. Hawaiian Charter School, that helped as well. You know, we would sing Hawaiian Mele and things like that. So I think that's really what, yeah, brought the love for Hawaiian music to me. I imagine singing was natural for you from the beginning. But for your family, at what point did they start to recognize that you had a unique talent? You know, at school, a lot of my music teachers, Kawaikini, they recognized that really early on. I remember one of my music teachers, she would explain how, oh, you know, when you were little, we would sit, sit in the classroom and we would be learning the song and then I'll tell you guys, okay, sing it. And I would always be in the front row, right in the middle and swing along to the song, closing my eyes and really connecting to the melody, connecting to the song. My family didn't realize it until I got the opportunity to try out for that Hawaii 78 video. I think there were many, many hundreds of different youth that tried out for that video. And so that was just something, oh, okay, yeah, we just try and see what happens. And then when I got the spot, I think that's when we kind of realized that, you know, the music could be a career for me, something oh, I could take cool. on. And if someone hasn't heard your music before or haven't heard you sing before, how would you describe your music? You know, I do traditional Hawaiian mele, Hawaiian music. I'm also a singer, a songwriter. I play ukulele most of the time. And I just try to do mele Hawaii in its traditional form, while still adding my own flair to it, keeping it new, but not too new, 
always honoring the the work that our kupuna did to write these beautiful mele and put the beautiful medleys to them. And as you grow as a singer and a musician, I imagine you're constantly evolving and constantly finding your own style. Like you said, right, doing traditional mele, but putting your own flair to it. So whose music influences your style? You know, there's so many of Hawaii's artists. If you look at my Hawaiian playlist, I have over 5,000 songs. Wow. <laughs> well, since when I was young, I would always listen to the legends like Auntie Genoa Kiave. Mm. There's also newer ones. Her granddaughter, Pomaika'i Kiave Lyman, continues. Napalapalai, Kuana Torres them. And there's so, so many others. Natalie Aikama'u, Ho'okena. So there's all these different people that, you know, everything just combined. And just finding the way... I can share the melee myself. I just find it's really important as a youth nowadays in this generation to have a love for Hawaiian music. There's not many that I know that love Hawaiian music and that'll be able to listen to it 24-7. A lot of people are turning to Taylor Swift for people like that, and which is awesome. They have beautiful, beautiful talents. But I think continuing the work of our kupuna, you know, they they put so much work into it and that our Hawaiian language is almost lost. And so mele Hawaii... I like to say that it's the thing that holds in all the mo'olelo, the stories of their time, and it gets to pass it on to our generation. I know the video of your performance of Hawaiian Cowboy at last year's Commandment Schools Song Contest went viral. Singing ability aside, we also don't usually see that kind of level of showmanship or stage presence from someone your age. How do you do it so effortlessly? What fuels your courage to get up on stage and put on a show? You know, I think for that particular show, the song contest, we were honoring Paniolo. And one of those particular Paniolo that had a really, really talented gift was Uncle Saul K. Bright. He did that Mele Hawaiian cowboy all over. And nobody, nobody could be his version. So we tried to replicate that to the best that we could. So when I did that performance, that was in my mind the whole time. You know, do it for him. Do it to honor everybody. All of the Hawaiian musicians that are still here, continuing Mele Hawaii and those that we have lost. And just continue it. You know, I think that's what gives me the courage to be able to go on stage and share my Mele and share my stories. Yeah, to just make sure it doesn't die off and to continue it. Many people your age are still discovering what their talent is. You know, what is it about music that makes you so passionate about it? Why do you sing and perform? I know you've shared a little bit already, but when you really think about it, you know, what is it that you love so much about singing and performing? You know, I think it's the aspect of all these beautiful mele, you know, the ones I write, the ones that have been written by others, they all... They all capture a story, and each story is unique. And I feel it's really, really important that I continue it. You know, I've said it a lot, but that's what gives me so much hope for Mele Hawaii. That's why I think I continue it. I could do many other different genres, but I think Mele Hawaii is so special, and it's what I hold dear in my heart because it's what our kupuna did. And like I said earlier, there's not many that continue Mele Hawaii nowadays, especially for this generation. So just to be able to do it and continue it, and might as well use my gift to the best of my abilities to share the stories of our kupuna, their ike, and of course, all their beautiful mele. You know, being in the spotlight early on in life comes with its own kind of set of pressures and expectations. How do you kind of handle that when you're in the public eye? You know, I just always say thank you, you know, mahalo. And I, I try not to take the credit. You know, it's all the work that our kupuna already set up for us years and years ago from their writing of the mele, their performing of the mele. So let's assume that you make a career of performing music and you're able to accomplish things that a typical career musician accomplishes. What would you like your musical legacy to be? What would you like future generations to say about your music? You know, I think I just want it to be be seen as somebody who continued the legacy of our kupuna. I know I bring that up a lot, but I think that's really, really important. I think that's how I want to be seen, somebody who continued the traditions of our kupuna and didn't let it die off. I saw that you brought your ukulele with you. Would you be able to perform something for us to kind of give our listeners an idea of of your music? Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Thanks so much for coming into the studio today. It's so much fun talking to you. Of course. Thank you so much. Mahalo. That was 14-year-old musician Kamahao Haumea Thronis talking with HBR's Russell Subiono. Haumea Thronis kicked off our four-week Melee Hawaii concert series with a performance in our Atherton studio this past Sunday. Nathan Avial will be performing this Saturday and Sunday. You can get your tickets on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. That is it for this Aloha Friday. We'll be taking Monday off in observance of President's Day, but we'll return on Tuesday with reflections on the two-year anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine. Call our talkback line and leave us your comments. That's 808-792-8217 or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Our program is produced by Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Savannah Harriman-Pote. The Beckard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello. Theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Tuesday and pick up the conversation. Mm-hmm.